welcome to the Wibbly Wobbly Timey Wimey podcast. I'm Lucia Kelly, expert at applied analysis and WWTDD. And I'm Talia Franks, media critic, fanfic enthusiast, and I want to ride a horse. And we're here today for a Wibbly Wobbly mini-sode. Today we'll be talking about chapter two of Flux, War of the Centaurians, which aired on November 7th, 2021. It was written by Chris Chibnall and directed by Jamie Magnus Stone. Reminder that time isn't a straight line. It can twist into any shape. And as such, this is a fully spoiled podcast. We might bring things in from later in the show, the comics, the books, the audio dramas, or even fan theories and articles. With that out of the way, you underestimated us, you pathetic temporal hags. So let's get in the TARDIS. IMDb states that this episode, synopsis, thingamabob, is during the Crimean War, the Doctor discovers the British army fighting a brutal alien army of Sontarans as Yaz and Dan are thrown deeper into a battle for survival. What is the Temple of Atropos? Who are the Mori? And our synopsis is that this is the episode where we question why Vinder wasn't the companion. Oh my God! So many excellent companion candidates this episode. We've got Vinda, we've got Mary fucking Seacole, and we've got Dan's parents. I love his parents so much. <laughs> Our little family dynamic was so cute. I mean, I, I am still annoyed that Dan is on the TARDIS at all. There should have only been one companion. And if there were going to be two, it should have been Vinder. Um, but Dan's mom is amazing. <laughs> Dan's mom is stunning. I want her in. I'm getting a lot of Jackie energy, and you know how I feel about Jackie. <laughs> I want Jackie 2.0. I do know how you feel about Jackie. <laughs> um. <laughs> So this episode, oh my God, so much happened and I barely know where to start. Um, the drip from the <laughs> Oh my God, the fashion. I made a whole Instagram post about it. <laughs> Everybody in this episode was just like, there was style. There was so many things going on. I loved, I adored the aesthetics yeah. of the temple. Like everything about it. The little triangle priests, the way the light came shining in kind of like honeycomb and the, the design for the Mori is just, oh, beautiful, beautiful. I adored it. Absolute chef's kiss. Amazing, amazing. If we're written on production, it would definitely get a five. Oh yeah. <laughs> also, I just love Vinder and Yaz's chemistry, which is why I say- Oh my gosh. Vinder should have been the companion. He and Yaz have such great chemistry. They sure fucking do. Like, you know, you know I'm here for Thasman, but like, I didn't mean they had that kind of chemistry. I wasn't seeing that. I just thought, I just thought that they that they had a lot of like I'm, I'm just saying they were cute. 
They were really cute. Okay, if you say so. I just thought that they had a lot of on-screen, like, they work well together. I got definitely the vibes that they, like, they click. They definitely are the type of people who work well together in a crisis, which is, I think, what you need with two companions who are working together. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. I'm wondering whether we should save the conversation about this stupid lieutenant until our proper episode or like not. (laughs) (laughs) The patriarchy. Fuck the patriarchy. So one thing I will say is that one thing I really appreciate about this doctor is that she has a really great capacity for not acting any differently from the other doctors because I feel like there could have been a world in which a woman doctor acted like significantly different than a male doctor when confronted with people but I feel like you know she still pushes on through she still is the doctor and yes people do treat her differently because misogyny and patriarchy but you know she still does the thing that needs to be done and she works around it in ways that obviously other doctors haven't had to (laughs) but I think she does it really well and the balance between her having to navigate that lack of privilege while at the same time working toward her goals and not giving up her authority I think is done really well yeah very much there's particularly um particularly I noticed this episode there's a shot just before she meets Skak to, to divulge where the doctor is, which I adored all of that. Um, but there's this particular shot as she sort of steps into the scene and into her power, which is, I, I can't quite describe it, but the way that that is shot is distinctly masculine. You do not get that kind of framing for a woman, mm-hmm. basically ever. And it was just really cool because, yeah, it's the doctor. They break gender stuff all the time. She gets the mask framing. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and one thing I appreciated about that is that there's kind of a tendency to when a woman steps into that role there's kind of a tendency when a woman steps into that role to have the best way I can describe it is like girl boss energy Mm -hmm. which uh I don't like girl boss energy like it feels kind of fake and fabricated because it's like it's not it's not real boss it's girl boss it's like you know femme people can't actually be the boss they have to be the girl boss 
but it's like no it puts the doctor on equal footing and I don't even want to say it's like mask energy I think it's just you know authoritative because masculinity comes with authority which is ridiculous <laughs> we could we could get into the whole the whole gender breakdown of how girl boss energy and that whole phenomenon actually feeds right back into the patriarchy but it's a minisode so we'll save it <laughs> uh, don't worry i'm sure that there's a rose episode or two where we could get into girls boss energy <laughs> Okay, speaking of Rose, I need to know, Chibnall, you just need to tell me straight out, is there going to be a reference to the famous Tyler? Because right now we've got the Rose outpost and the, the, the number of references in this episode to, to past who, particularly seasons one to four, is wild. Um, the way that Lewis's parents are introduced is mad journeys and Rose coming to save the day. Like it's almost the exact same framing and the exact same sort of setup, except with Sontarans instead of Daleks. And then I was getting really nostalgic when uh, Dan was breaking into the Sontaran ship and you have that whole like visual cueing to the whole three fingers Donna Doctor stuff. And then at the end, I mean, that was Christmas Invasion. That was Christmas Invasion right there, right? Like it was so like, is this on purpose? It's gotta be. Yeah, it's definitely hitting a lot of the same story beats. Um, I'm not sure how much it's on purpose or if it's just that Doctor Who tends to hit a lot of the same story beats. The thing that I thought you were going to say that it's connecting to Rose is that the Mori talk a lot about time running wild and time being out of sync and things not being okay. And that makes me think of parallel universes and the capacity for Rose to potentially come back. But at the same time, I don't want her to because I don't like her. If they bring a companion back, I want it to be Martha because she's the only companion it makes sense to bring back because like Martha and Ryan are the only companions that didn't have devastating exits. <laughs> so they're the only ones who it makes sense to bring them back. I'm just saying. And Ryan left you recently. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's... <sighs> Also, the Shadow Proclamation was uh, referenced to again, obviously with the Sontarans here, with Martha and the whole, the Sontaran experiment and specifically using their breathing apparatus as a weak point. And also, time is evil? Question mark? Really fascinating how the Triangle Priests and by extension, I guess the Mori talked about time as this very negative and active force which was also giving me bad wolf sort of stuff as well this idea of um, a force that can manipulate the universe also also I call bullshit I call bullshit as if as if 
who assigned the Mori would be lost. That, mm, <laughs> that makes no sense. That makes no sense that such a vital piece of information would not be accessible. That is just bullshit storytelling stuff. It's a vital piece of information that we as the audience can't know yet. It's a good question to ask that if this was real life would absolutely be answered, but we're, we're holding it back for dramatic purposes and it's mm, bullshit. <laughs> I gotta say one thing that I find interesting and that I've seen some people talk about is the idea that the Ravagers aren't evil. <laughs> like that, like, yes, they are evil. They're murdering people like nobody's business if they kill Yad. They murdered my triangle men. They did nothing wrong. They were perfect. <laughs> if My beautiful triangle priests. If they kill Yazin Vinder, I'm going to riot. <laughs> but my main point was that if the Mori are actually evil and in the wrong, and especially if, if the Ravagers, if they're anti-division, then <laughs> I can't completely hate them. <laughs> mm. Um. Also, they're so stylish. Also, they're queer coded. I find it very hard to hate queer coded people. <laughs> yeah. It is. I'm fascinated by this. This idea of this. So, we've been told for a really long time that the time boards were in charge of time, right? Like that this is their division, if you will, right? Like, the time lords are the one who keep track of time and make sure everything's okay so what is all this you know the time lords did control the division though i mean yeah <laughs> but like so that's what i'm saying is how are the time lords and the mori and the division and the ravagers all connected and we're still going to get weeping angels and cybermen right like it's it's interesting that the angels were introduced in the first episode and seemed to be quite important and then we got no angels no claire none of that storyline in this episode so and yeah, the, the trailer for next week, there's Cybermen as well. So we're bringing everyone in. Um, mm, mm. Uh, it's still act one. It's still act one. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm remembering correctly, the fourth episode is called Village of the Angels. And that's the one that's co-written with Maxine Alderton. So that's when we're going to meet the angels again. All right. All right. In defense of Dan, please. he was pretty fucking adorable this episode. I'm sorry. I mean, he's, he made a walk pun. He's trying so hard. He took video evidence. That is a good companion. That is a good companion. Well done. Smart lad. He did really good. He's doing well. 
I'm rooting for him. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to. He abandoned Diane. Who for that all- was not his fault. He- that was not his fault. He knows he's been gone for two days and that he stood her up. <laughs> I am worried about Diane. I do want to know where she is. He stood her up for a date two days ago and didn't even check on her. We like, don't know that. I think I remember he contemplated checking on her. He looked at his phone, but he didn't actually verify that she was okay. <laughs> and then he ran off to go do time and space. And I just, I don't understand. Also, also he was like, oh, in these past couple of days, I've had some experience with aliens and time travel or whatever. Shut the fuck up. But it's been like a few hours for you. But a few hours for him, but it has been a few days. So he's using their time? Maybe? Still doesn't excuse. <laughs> I don't care for it. In my defense, he called the Suntarans potato heads and thought they had tempura control. I'm, I'm soft. That's so cute. You're not going to get me to like Dan, Lucia. Tempura control. <laughs> Yaz and Vinder. We end the episode with Yaz and Vinder being threatened and almost dying, and we think they're going to die. The only reason I know they're not dead is because they're in the next episode trailers and promotional photos. And that's the only thing that's making me not about to riot because like, okay, so I tried to get into this last episode and then we got sidetracked. But the thing is, so the thing is, Black people, people of color dying all the time is a problem because it's a repeated pattern. It's not a question of Black people are dying and oh, white people are dying too. Like it's not just that it's the fact that it's a repeated pattern of violence and in particular what sometimes feels like senseless violence against people of color and it's that repeated pattern that can feel triggering and upsetting because it's like yes there should be more representation and it would also be weird if no people of color ever died on a show where people die all the time but it's distressing when there's a pattern of repeated violence and it's a problem it's the reason why midnight is my least favorite episode not just because it's scary and it freaks me out but because a black woman who we explicitly state in the text never gets a name and that we do not care about enough because she's just a service person. She's just a laborer. We don't care about her and she goes completely unnamed and she sacrifices herself for all these people, mostly white people. And the only other black person in that episode also is degraded and constantly put down and ignored. And they're both black women. And then one of them dies completely unnamed. 
it's a problem. Sorry, I didn't mean to go on a midnight rant, but I fucking hate that episode. Yeah. Yeah. And anyway, that's why I'm not super hyped about RTD coming back because as they said in the Queer Archive podcast, one of the things that is distressing about RTD coming back is that yes, he's grown as a writer, but the thing that we want to be cautious about isn't the things that he regrets and is going to do better is the things that he doesn't regret and he's going to continue to do. Absolutely. Yeah, it's about the relative representation and the patterns, right? The way that a marginalised character dies or is in any way harmed or, like, any actions against them negatively is particularly important when you consider the amount of representation. Because there is such a long history of white, straight, cis, heteronormative people who are considered the norm, having so much representation, the, the, the balance is different, right? When you've got such a limited sample size, what happens is really important because much like in real life, because that representation is so limited, they become unwilling sort of representations and representatives of their entire minoritized identity, mm-hmm. which is a direct result of the fact that they don't have representation, right? Mm-hmm. So yes, you know, the quote unquote normal population of whatever cast of whatever TV show does experience harm. But when the repeated patterns are always being victimized, sacrificed, unnamed, you know, when when the vast majority of one particular kind of person is always being hurt in order to serve the type of person that is in power that feeds back into the reality that we live in and it's something that we need to stop in our fiction in order to you know set the example for our reality Mm -hmm. yeah and that's definitely the problem that i have with ending the episode on yaz and vinder potentially dying because from future episode trailers we know that they're okay but we end the episode with them being in peril and their status being questioned similarly with diane she's one of the first major representations we have of someone who is disabled and her last scene is her being threatened and we don't see any more of that and so it's just what what are we supposed to do with that now so my thinking is that we should probably move into the funky fabulous or foul of this episode i agree i know i'm pretty firm in what i think so i want to know what you think before i get my firm judgment 
Well, before discussing it, I was firmly in fabulous because even though this episode put me through an emotional roller coaster, which I did not appreciate, the <laughs> high points were super high and I enjoyed them immensely. <laughs> but now I am not so sure and I'm upset about that. <laughs> I'm sorry to have put you in such turmoil, as it were. Um, this is the problem with only having three results that I can choose from. I think before we had 30, because we could, we had five different categories that we rated on a, on a scale of zero to five. Me personally, my personal judgment is funky. I think this episode wasn't fabulous. It wasn't foul. It was weird. It was uncomfortable. It had some high points, some very low points. I did not enjoy Dan as much as you did. <laughs> um so this episode was, was funky it's funky to me I'm not mm. I'm not loving it I'm not hating it um I don't like the ending um so yeah like I'd call it funky mm. I am also calling it funky but like a very high funky like if we would <laughs> if we were putting this on a rainbow scale right and fabulous is red and foul is indigo it's like an orange funky like a deep vermilion kind of <laughs> why does red have to be good because i was just telling at the beginning of the rainbow no but but uh, fine okay it can be reversed then i don't mind what i mean is that like <laughs> it's right in the middle i, just, I did really enjoy this episode but i have I, to acknowledge the low points no i just think the beauty of the rainbow is that all of the rainbow is equally valid so i don't think the rainbow is a good is a good option i think we should just do another Fine. scale <laughs> yeah so you want to call this a five on the funky scale we're getting in we think about <laughs> we think about numbers and colors differently i guess but yeah sure <laughs> thank you for coming on this journey with me with us hello i'm here too <laughs> yeah thank you for coming on this journey with oh. us <laughs> me and it's like how dare you co-host co-host <laughs> me and you is us okay yes thank you for coming on this journey with me as well <laughs> we will see you next week this has been the wibbly wobbly timey wimey podcast we hope you enjoyed this adventure with us through space and time. You can find us elsewhere on the internet, on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram as at WibblyPod. Follow us for more Wibbly Wobbly content. You can find out more information about us and our content on WibblyWobblyTimeyWimey.net and full transcripts for episodes at WibblyWobblyTimeyWimey.net slash transcripts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can send us an email at WibblyWobblyTimeyWimeyPod at gmail.com. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and other platforms as it helps other people find us and our content. Special thanks to our editor, Owen Elphick, who has been a vital member of the Wibbly Wobbly team. That's all for now. Catch you in the time vortex.